sometimes in order to follow your passion and to go after what you want, sometimes it can be really lonely. It's important to know that and to discover and find whatever that passion is. If it lights you or your fire and it fills you up, then it's worth it to keep going. The new, the new, the new, school. New, school. The new school. This is The New School with your host, Christine Hong. Welcome to a new kind of school where we talk about career paths you don't normally get to hear about in the classroom. Every episode, I talk to someone with an interesting life path and learn about how they got to where they are today. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The New School with your host, Christine Hong. First of all, we want to hear from you. What's been your experience with The New School podcast? What kind of guests or career features would you like to see next? Text us your thoughts at 765-343-9840. I personally read all the text messages sent there, so that's 765-343-9840. All right, guys, I literally cannot wait for you to hear the wisdom that our guest today has to share. Look, I think we've all had those moments where things didn't work out exactly the way we planned. Uh, hello, 2020. So maybe you didn't get that dream job, or maybe you got dumped by that guy, or maybe you just completely flunked that exam. But for this episode's amazing guest, she shows it's really all about how you react when things don't go exactly how you want. Hannah Cecile grew up in a musical household, and she always wanted to be a Broadway star. But once she graduated college, she realized that a life in the theater wasn't what she imagined. She took a step back and she figured out that telling stories was her true passion. So after a series of twists and turns, she landed her dream job at Instagram, where she brings people's stories to life as a creative producer. In this episode, Hannah explains how she got into producing, how she got her first production internship at Refinery29, how she dealt with being laid off at just 25 years old, what the heck a producer does, and what the day-to-day is like working as a creative producer for Instagram. So to start, I'm curious what your childhood was like. Like, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? My childhood was pretty magical, actually. So I grew up with two actors. I grew up in a very musical household. And so from the time I was a little girl, thought I wanted to be a Broadway actress. It was everything that I did. It, obviously, like I got involved in school stuff and community stuff, but also was really fortunate to be able to do some professional theater as a kid as well. Yeah, I got to do some really incredible theater and like totally fell in love with it. You know, I think that my like career path didn't really shift until post-college. And that's, I think, when I started to realize, okay, this is an incredible passion of mine and I will forever love doing this. And quite frankly, someday when Broadway comes back, I still do want to be on Broadway and like still think that I will be on Broadway someday. But I think it was, I had to really find another vertical of storytelling that I felt really passionate about that opened up possibilities for me to be able to also accomplish and do so many other things that I was passionate about. The fortunate thing in having my parents, having both been actors, was that they were like, unless this is the only thing in your life that you are passionate about, you should not do this. <laughs> because, I've heard that quote, yeah. You know, but it's, it's true. And I actually, I didn't listen to them. I learned the hard way, which was through my own experience in post, you know, post college, I moved back to Atlanta and I pursued theater hardcore for a year. And I started to not love it anymore. And I think that really terrified me. Like when it became my job and, you know, like when you're an actor, your job is auditioning. And so you're constantly like comparing yourself to other people, my personality and like my own insecurities, that was not the field that I think was the best for, you know, just like my emotional stability and mental health and things like that. My whole life, I was going to be Hannah that went to Broadway. 
And now I was like, I don't know. I don't know what this means for me. But my mom always says that we, she refers to outliers a lot. The Malcolm Gladwell book? Yeah. Existing in the time that I'm existing in right now. And kind of, I think like with the start of digital media and like that kind of storytelling and just content being born. Like, again, it's now these majors and things exist in college. I very vividly remember all of my time in college. But what I do didn't exist as a major even then. So it's like this new thing of kind of, you know, I feel really fortunate. It's like, maybe when I was a kid, I would have wanted to be a video producer at Instagram. I just didn't know that that was something that would have existed, you know? So like in my head, there was this one lane and like this one vertical of storytelling, which was either like theater or television or film. It was like, that's, those were the three ways that you could perform or be a storyteller. And I'm so fortunate to now live in the time that I'm living in where there's so many other avenues to tell really awesome, dynamic, and powerful stories. Yeah. It seemed like growing up, you were like, I definitely want to become a storyteller. And just because of the way media is presented, especially in like the early 2000s, it's like, oh, acting, that's like the only way, right? Yeah. And it seemed like you liked it from school, but you said the biggest difference when you graduated was just the fact, well, when you were doing as a job, what was the biggest difference for you? It didn't feel the same as when you were doing in school. Yeah, it kind of, I don't know, it lost its like magic for me when I, when I was, and I don't know. And I mean, maybe it's different. It's it's a world that maybe now I've been out of for a little while. I've gone through it. I think it's because like it's in school, you're getting the best roles and the best scripts. And all you have to do is work on creating a character. And they don't tell you at all that acting professionally is just auditioning over and over. And usually for like two line roles that are not well-written at all. So, okay, you realize that acting as a job is not quite the right fit. You're not feeling it, but you still wanted to get into storytelling. So how did you figure out what to do next? How did I figure out what to do next? I think it was kind of like, everybody has a starting point of like, what is the, what is the goal? Because you just have to take that first step. And for me, my first step was, I want to move to New York City. And it's so funny because even, you know, the year prior... I was going to move to New York City to pursue a career in theater. But then it was like, even though that had had changed for me, I still knew I still want to be in New York, you know? And I I really do want to, I don't know. It's like, I mean, if you live here and you love living here, then you get it. But there's truly no place like this. And the energy and the creativity and and truly the magic. Like, I think, like, I feel that Broadway magic and that, like, Disney magic and that whatever in New York City all the time. And I I had ever since I was a little girl. So I think it was, for me, it was finding, even though my world feels rocked because now I'm thinking that the thing I didn't, that I wanted to do my whole life isn't actually what I want to do. What are the commonalities? Like, what are the common threads here? It's, you want to do something creative. You want to be in New York City. You want to tell stories. You love to write. You like to be the center of attention, right? Like there, <laughs> there are like all of these things that I was like, okay, so what, what is the first step I need to take? Because I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know, I know one step I can take to getting there. So it was, it was really just getting to New York City. That was goal number one. I knew that I wanted to come to New York. And because I had majored in French and also had minored in journalism, it seemed like broadcast journalism was like the perfect marriage of the things I was passionate about. And I also, again, like I'm really fortunate. I I owe so much to my mom and dad because I had the biggest cheerleaders in both of them that like understood 
that I was going to be the type of person who like had to be passionate about what I did because I, and I understand that in order to make the world go around, there are people who like live to work and there are people who work to live. Right. And I'm the kind of person that like I live to work. I just put my heart and my soul into everything. I, I don't think I would have ever been happy at like a desk job or a normal nine to five. And so it was, it was finding like, okay, what am I really passionate about? And what do I really love? And how do I make a, a life for myself out of this? And so I applied to all signs pointed to the NBC page program, which I'm sure you guys have heard about that. I mean, it's like, it's, it's an entry level position, but they say that it's harder to get into the NBC page program than to get into Yale. Oh, that's where I went actually. <laughs> Wait, um, you did? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, guess um, what? You might have gone to Yale, but you would not have gotten into the NBC program. So. <laughs> oh, I do. Yeah, I, I think like you're like, oh, I want to work in entertainment, but I don't know what. It seems like the NBC page program is the place to be, right? For sure, for sure. And people that move to New York and like want or LA and want to pursue media, there's so many people that are like, oh, you should look into the NBC page program. And so I did that. I was one of those people. And I made it to the final round of interviews, which is really intense. Like the last round of interviews that they do is this like half of a day long panel and you're with a bunch of other panelists that you're competing against and you're sitting in front of all these people that work at NBC. To this day, that was the best interview I think I've ever given in my life. I've never been more prepared. I had studied and like read all these books on NBC. I was like, I want this job. I'm right for this job. And we walked out of that and the girl that I'd become friends with was like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that you're going to get this. And can you guess what happened? What happened? I didn't get it. <laughs> no. Yeah, I didn't get it. I think that that was like my first real kind of welcome to New York experience. And also, you know, I, I think I just, I started to realize like, okay, this is, this is going to be tough. Like I thought that acting, you know, I thought that what I was going through there was tough and nobody cares that I majored in X, Y, Z and was really good at this in my little world. This is different. And so I think it also was such a good reminder too that like to have a to have like a plan or to have goals and aspirations but to not cling so tight because sometimes when the plan doesn't go your way, it's actually just like opening up something that you would have otherwise maybe never paid attention to. And for me, what that was was I got connected to somebody at Refinery29. And it was 2015. So it was the video team was really small. And I, I remember I went in. And at that point, it was the VP of video. And he was like, do you want a job or an internship? And I was like, I want whatever you're willing to give me. I want I want a job. I want to work here. I want what you have. I didn't know anything about it. I just knew that it was a women's media company. And that sounded really cool to me. And I was like, I'm a woman. I like media. Well, let's see what it is, you know? And so I went in and all they had, they had no headcount, but they said, we can give you an internship for $9 an hour. And I took it. What kind of internship was it? A video production internship. And it, it was, again, like a very serendipitous. And truthfully, my entire story has gone that way. It's like, I have been rejected just as much, if not way more, honestly, like way more times than I ever got a yes. And that was kind of, I think, you know, the NBC no opening up to the refinery 29. Yes. Was like the first lesson. It took the universe like multiple lessons for me to finally get this, but that was the first lesson in like, let go of the plan that you have in your head and kind of just ride the wave because it, it's going to take you some pretty dope places. That's how it really started was at refinery 29. and was like my first kind of big girl 
job and like welcome into the world of media and specifically digital media and video production. Awesome. So yeah, this is kind of your first producer type role. What was it like? Did you like it? I loved it. I was an intern. It was so cool because I was working with all of these people that had come from the world of like TV and film and were now wanting to make content for the internet, you know, and like make make award-winning documentary videos or go to these film festivals with this like, you know, short and mid-form content. It was this whole other world that I knew nothing about. And I felt like I was learning from people who were so much smarter than me and so much more creative than me. And also people that wanted to make a difference. I think that was what was so cool about Refinery and what I loved so much about the mission of like telling these, you know, female first driven stories. I I loved that, like, I was working for a brand that had a very clear mission. and They were making content that aligned with that. That felt really cool to me. I remember my first day there, Lisa Kudrow was like, happened to be in the office, like giving a talk to the employees. And I was like, wow, okay, cool. Thank you, NBC. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. And I got to work alongside, initially, I was doing most of our YouTube content. So I worked on a bunch of like, these kind of new series that we were starting to put forward on YouTube. That was like the primary platform. And then I got connected through a friend and she was like, you need to meet this girl that works at Refinery. Her name's Madison. I think it would be just really good for you two to connect. And Madison happened at that time was the assistant to one of the founders. And like a piece of advice I always give to people is like in every job that you're in, you have to find a mentor. You have to find somebody that like, And it might not even be your manager, right? Like it it might be somebody on a totally different team, which in my case, it was Madison was on editorial. I was on video and Madison was the assistant to the founder. And I was like a lowly intern that was doing coffee runs for people. And I asked Madison to get a coffee with me. And I kind of just, you know, told her my life story and listened to hers and then told her what I wanted to do. And I had come up with this idea. I wanted to produce, I wanted to write and I wanted to produce human interest stuff. And so I told Madison about this idea that I have. I was like, I really want to interview couples about their sex lives and have them tell me about their sex lives like super candidly. And I want to start with like high schoolers. And then I want to talk to people that have been married for, you know, like over 70 years. And she was like, wow, I love it. And she kind of helped give me the confidence to pitch it. I got the confidence with this idea And I brought it to one of our development people. And I, you know, I sat with him in the kitchen. He gave me like 10 minutes of his time and I pitched it to him and I was like, this is what I want to do. And he was like, can you develop this into a series? And that was the other like really amazing thing about being there when I was, was it was, it was so new and there weren't a lot of people that were working there. And, you know, it it was a place where like somebody that was an intern could come in with an idea and be like, Hey, I want to make this thing. And they were like, okay, here's $50 go. And that's what I did. And I, as an intern with two other interns developed this series and it was called how to love. And the first episode was me asking couples about their sex lives and it did really well. And it ended up getting me a job. I love that because you were being proactive. And I think a lot of people just wait for someone to be like, hey, what are you thinking? And especially if you're an intern, no one's going to ask you, to be honest. So for other interns out there in almost any field, to be honest, when do you think they should be like, oh, it's time for me to pitch an idea? And like, how should they pitch it and grab that higher ups time? You know, I think it's like having the patience. And I think you just have to figure out for you, like, the balance between assertiveness and humility. I don't know if those are the right words, but I think the best thing you can do is find 
it's great to like reach for the stars and want your mentor to be, you know, the president of the company or, or the head of content at X, you know, media firm. Right. But I, I think start small, like learn to crawl before you start trying to sprint. I got really lucky, of course, but I also, like you said, like I really did put myself out there. And so I think it was great that I, with my first mentor in Madison, we had this mutual friend. You produced this series. Awesome. And then what happened next? <laughs> you went on to be producer at Refinery29? Well, it was a little bit slower of a growth spurt than that. I went from intern and I was producing this show, but they hired me as a full-time PA. And it, that was so great because I felt like I had kind of you know, proven, okay, this is something that I'm good at and something that I care a lot about and like want to do. But then I wanted more responsibilities. I wanted to learn from people that had that title of producer. And so then I got to work on you know, a broader range of shows. You know, I got to work with one of our producers, Lucy Fink, on her show, Try Living with Lucy. And I learned so much from her. You know, so even though I technically wasn't the producer, I was like, give me the show to produce because I want to learn how to do it. I want to put together your shot list. I want to put together the brief. I want to reach out to the locations that we're going to be shooting at. And I want to make the call sheet and all of these things. So I think I really kind of took this Again, it was like I didn't wait for them to hire me because the truth is is that they never actually changed my title to producer, right? I was kind of just taking these opportunities and putting things on my plate that I knew from people I wanted to learn from, but also things that I thought I could contribute to in a really positive way. And I ended up getting this amazing resume of content from Refinery29. I touched everything, but I think it's because I wanted it to be that way. Yeah. Wait, so by the end of your time at Refinery29, you were like, I like producing, like this is the role for me. Definitely. I think I liked producing and I also really enjoyed directing. I also really enjoy hosting, but I think that that was something that I'm such a control freak that I think like being a producer is the perfect role for me because you're the person that's in control. Like you're the person that's kind of calling the shots and organizing everything and you can delegate things out that you want to, which I saw. I think that was another really cool thing. It's like, you were saying at the beginning of this, producer can mean so many different things and people can have so many different styles of how they do it. But I think the role of a producer, if you like put on the producer hat, you can, especially in digital media, at least in my experiences, that I, I was able to kind of take on all of these roles that I really liked. And I was able to like make the end goal and the end thing is making a piece of content. Yeah, it sounds like you get to do the storytelling through producing because you actually get creative control. For sure. Cool. So yeah, sounds like you got to make all this really cool content through Refinery29. So why did you leave and how did you end up at Instagram? That is a funny story. I actually, uh, I, in 2017, um, at the end of the year, Refinery was one of the companies, one of the media companies that went through like pretty huge extensive layoffs. And at that time, myself and my manager and multiple people on my team, like our whole kind of little division at Refinery was laid off. One of the hard realizations that you have to have is like, I think if you start somewhere as an intern, it's so hard to kind of climb the ladder from that point. You know, it's like people told me that in order to make more money and get a title change and all of these things that I, I would most likely have to go to another company. I didn't want to stay, you know, into 2018 and they broke up with me first. They beat me to the punch. I was truly blindsided by that. I had actually been told like two weeks prior that I was getting promoted. So 
it was such a weird, yeah, it was a really, really weird day um, when that happened. But there was definitely this like comfort in knowing that there were so many other amazing people that I worked with that that happened to that day too. And I think it, I also had this like, I was 25 years old when it happened. I, and I, I think I had like never really met another 25 year old that had been laid off. I just, I thought that that was something that happened in like your forties and fifties. And so that part was kind of confusing for me, but I, I feel really proud of the way that I exited because even though I felt really like, obviously I felt hurt by the decision that was made. Right. But I, also, I feel like I chose to kind of leave with just so much gratitude for like, I was paid to get an education in video production, right? Not very much, but I was paid still. Well, that's a great attitude. Yeah. Versus paying. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that I left with my head held really high and, and wanting to kind of maintain the relationships. I, I left thank you notes for some of the founders and like the top people at the company. And I mean, I'll get to it, it later, but there was like a very full circle moment that ended up happening with all of that. But so... I left there in December of 2017. I really put my head to the ground. I was applying to jobs left and right. I was reaching out to people that I had worked with at Refinery before that had gone on to other media companies. Did you know what type of content you want to be producing or were you just applying to like any type of associate producer, producer role? I knew the kind of content I wanted to be producing. I knew I wanted human interest and I knew I wanted entertainment. Like those were the two fields that I felt excited about and passionate about, but I was applying everywhere. I, I was applying anywhere that had a job opening. Understandable. I was feeling a little desperate. I was like, I need to pay my rent. So <laughs> ironically enough, this is what's so funny about the university. It's like I had been working at Refinery and in my last few months there, I had, I think it was kind of like with the rise of Tasty and like BuzzFeed's kind of food content was starting to go totally viral and like food porn was becoming a thing. And in my last few months at Refinery, I was producing food content and I was, I did not like that at all. That was kind of the catalyst for me being like, okay, I think my time here is really done is like, I didn't want to be producing, you know, hands and pans kind of videos. I don't cook. I'm a takeout girl. Like I, I just was like, this is not what I signed up for. And I don't think that I'm the best fit for this. And I ended up, of course, getting a job at the Food Network. So yeah, so they had like a three month kind of freelance, they were looking to backfill a role for somebody that was going on maternity leave. And I was like, okay, this is perfect. I'll get in at the Food Network. I'll be there for three months. And while I look for things elsewhere, like this will be a perfect short term contract. And like I was, you know, I was the refinery 29 girl that came into the Food Network, which content is geared toward a little bit of an older audience. And you know, I had been used to making content that was like very teen focused and like, you know, young millennial focused content. And so I came into the Food Network and just got so lucky with like my timing there because they happened to be looking for, they wanted a new YouTube and Snapchat show to be produced. And I came in and I was like, okay, I think we can do this. And I, I met women there that I worked with that are still to this day, like some of my closest friends. And I learned so much while I was there because I had gone from this kind of like startup video production team to then the Food Network, which has like been around forever and is super established and, you know, really successful and has budgets that I like couldn't even have dreamed of at Refinery29. And I think just like access to, to cameras and to crews and things like that, that was so important for me as a producer to learn how to work in that way. Because because it was a network versus a, a media outlet. Exactly. It, it's funny because I feel like Sometimes at Refinery, 
the hoops that I had to jump through there were completely different than the hoop, almost the opposite of the hoops that I had to jump through at the Food Network. At the Food Network, it was like, you know, I was trying to really push the boundaries of the kind of content that we could be producing. I ended up producing a show called Treat Yourself with Skylar. And it was super fun. It was a hosted show where she looked at food. She would do like food-based beauty treatments. And so we went around New York City and she like, you know, tried all of these different food and or like beauty and body treatments that were food-based, which was something that they hadn't really done before. You know, like most of the Food Network, and I'm an avid like Food Network watcher. I love Chopped so much. It's like one of my favorite shows ever. And so, you know, it was all of these kind of recipe forward videos and we were trying to do one that was more like you know it just felt a little bit more lifestyle definitely geared younger and it was super successful and that I was really proud of that and then they ended up extending my contract another three months and then another three months and then another three months and before you knew it I was there for almost a year did you like working there Yes. Short answer is yes. I loved working there. I think I, I learned so much in such a short amount of time. And I think I kind of knew from the get-go that it was like a very interim job because the Food Network and my passion for the kind of content I wanted to produce weren't totally aligned. But I wouldn't trade that experience that I had and the people that I got to work under and with for anything because it was brilliant and it was exactly what I needed to help me kind of, you know, get to the next level. Because you you got experience at like a major network. Exactly. Which is very different. But you knew you wanted to do more human interest content. So how did you decide where to go next? I wanted human interest stuff. And I really, you know, I missed, I missed the world of entertainment, I think, too. I love pop culture and, and like knowing what's going on in that world, too. And, and that was like one thing from, you know, my time at Refinery that I felt like I was really missing out on is that at the Food Network, we were obviously like, so focused on this one vertical. And I wanted to be at a media company that had a little bit like of a broader, I don't know, like repertoire. Is that the right word, I guess? Like, so what ended up happening was I actually got reached out to on LinkedIn, shout out LinkedIn, my best friend, by a recruiter at Instagram, which I thought was a total joke. And that was in March. And so I had really just started at the Food Network when that happened. And I'd been there for maybe a month and a half and somebody from, you know, Instagram reached out and they said, we're looking for a video producer to work for Instagram. And I got set up with the recruiter. And mind you, I'd also, you know, in all of that time that I'd been at Refinery and even the Food Network and was kind of like in between jobs or while I was at Refinery looking for jobs, I had applied to roles at Facebook and Instagram before. That was one of the media companies that I had been looking at and had applied to countless times. And so then, you know, somebody reaches out to me they have this role. I get set up with the recruiter, have a great call. I get passed on to the next round. Ended up talking with the team and found out that it was the, it was Instagram's Instagram team, super meta. But they were getting ready to launch IGTV for the first time. This was 2018. They were, you know, looking for a producer that had experience in producing, you know, short and mid-form content and was going to be able to do that with IGTV. And it was also this role that was going to be kind of like entertainment and partnerships focused, but also just from the ad Instagram account, I knew that the kind of storytelling that they did was super global, really human first storytelling, pretty much everything that you see on the ad Instagram account, there's a human behind it. You know, it's like we're telling first person narratives. And so I really loved that as a brand. I was like, wow, there's a little bit of everything. You know, there's food, there's fluff and animals, there's travel stuff. There was really just something for everybody. And I was like, okay, this is it. 
everything up to this point has led to this moment of like this job that feels like it was perfectly curated for me. And the interview process was really long. It was about four and a half or five months. They first reached out to me in March and I didn't actually, I didn't get the answer until August. It was strenuous. Were they asking like mostly what kind of content you would make for them to promote IGTV? Yeah, it was a mix of that. It was a lot of like meeting with the team, kind of asking like things that I'd done in the past, projects that I had been really proud of and excited about, which for anybody I think that is passionate about media or specifically producing, I think it's super helpful when you have at a like a click of a button, they can click something and see all of the content that you've produced. There's so many people that have reached out to me and like, I want to be a producer, but then I'm like, okay, great. Like, do you have something that you can show me that you've produced before? Like, show they don't have anything. So I was really lucky. And something that I learned from Refinery2 when I left was like to have a portfolio of things to show. Oh, like a reel, yes. Yeah, like a reel or, you know, and my website, like I was updating my website with all the content that I'd done. And so I think that was really helpful because I kind of just let my work speak for itself. And so... Yeah. And then I had to do a creative project where they basically, you know, they sent me an assignment to do. And I I had been really used to doing that because when I was applying to jobs at like Condé and Hearst and Vox and all these other places, I had to do so many projects. Oh, they all asked for like a creative project. What is that? They're like, what kind of videos would you make or what kind of? They would almost like people give you a prompt and then, you know, they ask you to come up with three different series ideas or, you know, write a script for this concept. It was pretty wide range of things that I got asked to do. And the Instagram one was so much fun for me. It was super visual and felt really creative and like a creative challenge to tell a story in like a way that I hadn't really done before. I had to tell a story through Instagram stories and I just, I loved it so much and felt super confident and then they called me and told me that I didn't get the job. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Not what I yeah, I didn't get the job in August. And it ended up just kind of like they shifted the role and, you know, the timing wasn't right. And the recruiter at the time was like, I want you to know that they really liked you and you should stay in touch with them. So that's what I did. Like I had, I think I had my first ever panic attack after that because that was a rough one. That was really devastating. It felt really similar to kind of like that initial NBC page rejection. But what ended up happening, which was again, it was just like, this is how I now know to just trust the timing of the universe and like trust the course as it kind of unfolds for you. And I don't know if you are going to remember this, but when Instagram kind of launched these voting stickers or these register to vote things for the midterm elections in 2018, I was seeing all of my friends on Instagram, people that I had gone to college with and high school with, who I'm, I guarantee had never voted in a midterm election before, like posting that they were voting in the midterm elections, right? And like it all of a sudden became this cool thing to do. And if you weren't doing it, then like that wasn't cool. And so I emailed them and I was like, hey, I don't know if you guys had anything to do with this, but I just want to say kudos. This is really awesome. Like I'm seeing young people go vote in the midterm elections for the first time ever. And like Instagram did that. Like Instagram made it a thing to want to get involved. And I said, what is your headcount for 2019? I am convinced that I'm supposed to work for you and I will do freelance. I will do contract. I'll do whatever. But like, I really believe in my gut that I'm supposed to work for you. And um, they got back to me right away and they said, you know, we have one role, but it's a contract role and it's in San Francisco and we can't budge on that. Are you interested? I called my parents and I called my sister and I was like, I think I'm going to take this interview. I know it's San Francisco and that's crazy, 
for me right now, but like, let's just see what happens. And I took the interview and five days later, they hired me and I moved to San Francisco in January of 2019 and have been working for Instagram ever since. Why did you think Instagram was your ultimate place to be? Like there's lots of places do him interest stories where you just pretty set in digital media. Like why was Instagram the dream place? I think for me, it was kind of this, it just felt like the possibilities of the kind of content I could be producing and also the reach that could come from that felt kind of like Instagram was the place for that. Right. And then of course, once I got in, it ended up being above and beyond what I could have ever anticipated it being. But I think I just had that gut feeling that I was like, this is a place where you can have a lot of reach. This is a place where you're going to learn a lot and grow a lot. But this is also a place where you're you're going to take your talents and the things that you're really passionate about. And this is going to be a platform where you can actually truly for, I think, the first time, really share that with the world. And when I got there, it was so brand new, like IGTV and people weren't even really going and shooting things on the ground as much. It was a lot more about like curation and and getting things from people. I mean, the account is super global. It's Yeah, that actually makes so much sense because it's like, you want a wide reach, but you want variety. Yeah. If you want wide reach, you have to go to a big brand name yeah. like Instagram or Netflix or even Food Network, but you didn't want to do a niche like Food Network. So then this like reduces your options even more. And then you want short long-term content because I'm assuming variety, you get like, you get to do way more different videos at the same time with short-term content than long-term content. It's all your things you want in in a job. It was. I knew that there was also going to be, you know, the opportunity to do kind of the entertainment partnership stuff that I was really passionate about. And then, you know, when I went in at the beginning, like I I think I I was really clear in, in wanting to do this kind of like human interest focused stuff, which turned into the series Advocates that is on Instagram that it's the truly like the pride and joy of my life has been and is producing the advocate series on Instagram because it has introduced me to the most remarkable people on the planet that are using not only using social media but also just like using their voice and whatever platform that they have and have created for themselves to do really incredible things and make a positive impact on the world to be able to like be a storyteller and tell stories like that. I mean, I feel like there's like no greater for me. There's nothing greater than that. That's amazing. What's your day to day like now as a creative producer for Instagram? Well, it's really different in this moment in time. Maybe let's do pre-quarantine. And I'm actually curious how your job is affected during quarantine now. For sure. Yeah. Pre-quarantine, I was on a plane pretty much every week traveling and shooting. And usually it would be like me. And then we would hire a DP, especially if it was an IGTV piece. Like I would always hire a DP to come shoot with me and advocates took up a lot of my last year. And I I haven't really been there for that long. I mean, I, I was a contractor for a year and then I got hired in February as a full-time producer. So, you know, I've only really been there for a year and a half. And in that first year, I I was mainly producing advocates as well as some other kind of either one-offs or like evergreen content here and there. I got to travel a ton. We would reach out to the person that we wanted, find the account or find the person, find the story, decide what that is, bring it back with a bunch of kind of creative ideas or like what I think, you know, kind of storyboarding, what I think it is going to look like. You know, then we reach out to the person, we talk to them, we come up with a plan. 
we make, you know, a shot list and, and get everything together, get everything organized. And I love doing that. Like I loved booking my own travel and like hotels and finding all these things and finding the locations to shoot and, and what we wanted the story to look like. But then I would go and I would actually be on the ground shooting the content, producing it, directing, which I love doing so much, like being in the thick of like physical production. And then, you know, once we wrapped a shoot, it would be bringing it back to an editor and kind of working with an editor to bring the story to life, which editors are the real MVPs in video production, because I mean, editors take hours and hours and hours of footage and are able to make it into like a five to 10 minute long video. That's amazing. Like that's going to keep people's attention and tell someone's story. Like I would spend, you know, I could spend three days with somebody shooting content nonstop and then I would have an editor make it into this like magical piece that is seen. So my favorite thing about my job is that people that I get to meet, I have become really dear friends with like (laughs) some of our subjects that I've shot with and, you know, still stay in touch with them. And this job has changed my life. It's changed my perspective. It's, it's broadened my, I don't know, like my aperture of, of my worldview. I've met people that have lived very different experiences than I have and have been able to like to feel like I've connected with them on a deep level and have like been given the honor of telling their story to the world and so I feel like that there's like this connection that exists and has made me just be a lot more thoughtful in my day to day just because I feel like I I don't know we all have our own experiences and like our own perception of what reality is but then until you kind of get to experience someone else's you don't know anything outside of your own. And I feel like that's what I love the most about my job is I feel like I've been able to get a, you know, a small taste of other people's lived experiences and like what they're doing with this life that they've been given. I guess my least favorite thing would probably just be like the pressure that comes from it. There's a lot of pressure to to make sure that you're doing the right thing and like doing good by these people and that like sharing their stories is going to be beneficial and not like harmful in any way to them. You know, like when you're putting people on a, huge account, you know, with 366 million followers that exposes them potentially to 366 million people that might not agree. I mean, it's like the pro and con of media and technology. And this might be naive of me, but I, I really believe that humans are inherently good and like want to do good by people and, and are kind and good people. And I'm sure that there are plenty of people that don't think that, but I like to believe that. But as much as you can go into something with the intention of like wanting it to be really good and and really impactful, I think that could also have a negative effect. You know, like I I know people have been extremely bullied before. And I think, yeah, it's just this pressure of wanting to feel like I'm leaving a really positive mark and not in any way potentially like damaging people with the work that I'm doing, you know, or like making sure that social media is doing good in the world and not harm, you know? Which is a big topic right now. Oh, yeah. It's a hot one. (laughs) Yeah. And the problem is that you can't make content that's like gives an impact on someone's life without being kind of controversial. So it's like, what's the line? Yeah. Right. I'm curious. What's your favorite project you worked on? Is it Advocates that you're talking about? Definitely Advocates. Can you elaborate on what the project is for the listeners who don't know? Sure. Yeah. So Advocates is a series that finds people that are using their Instagram platform to advocate for different causes that they believe in. So we've done an episode with a animal sanctuary photographer and and she's an advocate for animal rights. And then we've done somebody who 
brings, you know, food and hair washes and beauty products to the homeless on Skid Row in LA. And I got to go to Australia and work with Madeline Stewart, who is a model with Down syndrome. She's nonverbal. And we did this piece on her where like, you know, we're giving this voice to a literally voiceless person, right? I can't communicate in the same way that you and I can, but I think her story and getting to meet her and her mom has had such a lasting impact on me in my life because I don't know, I just think that it, it would be so easy to look at kind of the hurdle of how are we going to tell this young, amazing woman's story? And I, I think that we did it and like she does it through the work that she does and like advocating for differently abled people. Yeah, it's just something that I, I, I take so much pride in being able to do that. So that advocates has been my favorite. And I think, you know, within advocates, I think that there were some that just kind of like shook me up in the best way. That actually makes me want to check it out. I, I love the sense of like figuring out how to use social media for good. Honestly, that's awesome. I'm kind of curious, what's the most difficult decision you've had to make to turn your passions into your career? I guess it's that, I don't know like if this is going to sound corny, but that it it takes sacrifice sometimes, like extreme sacrifice. I mean, I mean again, like for me, what that looked like with Instagram was kind of taking a, a chance on myself, on this company and, and being willing to like uproot my life and move somewhere for like a potential what if just to kind of get my foot in the door and, and see if it was something that would stick. That was scary. And like, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. I also didn't know anybody in San Francisco when I first moved there. And there were times where it's like, sometimes in order to follow your passion and to to go after what you want, sometimes it can be really lonely, you know, because not everybody is like, if your passion is your passion and that's kind of what drives you, there are times when that can feel really isolating. So I think that, and I felt that, you know, like I felt sometimes really disconnected from my family, from my now partner, from friends and like, you know, missing out on things because I am following the thing that gives me, I don't know, that like drives me and makes me feel like I have purpose and, and recognizing that not, not everybody has that same experience. So I think the most important thing is like finding what that is for you and then knowing that sometimes it will, there are going to be a lot of twists and turns. I think what I've learned now too is that like every twist and turn got me to this moment right here, having this conversation with you like on this podcast, right? Like, and I'm not naive to the fact that there are going to be probably hundreds more twists and turns. And some of them might, I don't know, there might be letdowns that feel even more intense than some of the ones that I've had in the past. But um, I actually was feeling a little lonely past couple months. I I just thought it was like, oh, entrepreneur, it's like a lonely path. People tell you this, but I think you're right where if you're truly pursuing your passion, it's very unlikely you have close friends or family who have the same passion as you. So you're just going to have to end up like meeting a lot of strangers and not spending as much time with them to do what you're passionate about. And I think it is a little lonely in that sense. Yeah, to wrap, I'm kind of wondering what advice would you give to others who are listening and thinking, well, producing, it kind of sounds like what I would want to do and I want to break into producing. (laughs) Do you have any advice for them? Yeah. Oh man, it's such a thrill. Like it is, I think I also love it because no shoot, no experience like is ever the same. And I really love that. So I feel like if, if you're somebody that, I don't know, like doesn't want kind of the same I don't use the word mundane, but I guess kind of the same 
like repetitions, it's a great crew to go after because a producer really is a problem solver. Like that's what your job is. Your job is so many things go wrong and so many things can like happen or, you know, again, like not go according to the plan. You can have the most like detailed plan for, you know, your shooter or for your talent. And then you send them the creative brief and it's like word for word verbatim. You put all of your effort and time and energy into this thing. And then they, you get the content back and it's nothing like they didn't do a single thing on the shoot, right? That's, that's one of the things I'm dealing with now is like without being able to physically be there is like, okay, my job as the producer is to set this up for the utmost success without actually being able to physically be on the ground. And there have been times when I've, we've sent briefs and then what we get back is something completely different than what was discussed and like what's on the brief. And, and my job and the job of a producer is to be like, okay, let's think, let's pivot. How do we make something awesome out of what we have? So I feel like if that's something that you love to do, you love problem solving, you love working with people, it's something that you should go after wholeheartedly. Should they just apply to any producer, intern, PA, whatever position they can find? Is that the way to break in? Yeah, I think you break in by being willing to kind of take the lowest role on the totem pole and at a company that you really care about and feel passionate about, like take what they have. You know, I I think something that my family really instilled in me too is like, you're not, nobody's like too good to do anything, right? You know, you're no better than the role that like might appear to be at the bottom of the totem pole and or no worse than the person that might be at the top of the totem pole. And then I think it's just like work really hard and and find what you love to do and then be kind to everybody along the way. I really do think that if, if that is the case for you, then it truly is just a matter of time before the door opens up and you then are met with the decision of like, do I take this opportunity or not? And your gut usually knows whether or not you should do that. So it's also like listening to your gut. Yeah, I completely agree. I I think that's really great advice. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for your time. At the end for guests, we give them 60 seconds to pitch anything they want. Is there anything you'd like to pitch? Okay. I guess I just would want to use the 60 seconds to remind people. And I, I think, again, this is like an ongoing lesson of life and of my personal life, of my friends and family and things that I see is like this reminder that you have the power within yourself to kind of, as cheesy as this might sound, but like to make your dreams come true, whatever they are. I really firmly believe that. And I want people to maybe come away from this conversation, just feeling inspired to find that little glimmer of, and it could be really small. I I think I want to remind people that at times my, I felt really powerless and I like didn't feel empowered and I wasn't surrounded by people that made me feel that way. Or I wasn't maybe in the job experience that made me feel that way. But when I really kind of took a step back and just kind of sat with myself and looked at, you know, Hannah, name three things that you think you're really good at and like what you bring to the table. And then when I reminded myself of that, it helped me kind of get back on the path that I wanted to be on, even when I got knocked off course. And so I think I would say, spend time with yourself. Like you are the relationship that you're going to be with forever. Truly everything in this life is ephemeral. So love yourself and like find those things about yourself and the power within yourself to make a difference, no matter how small you think that that is, whether that's in your own family or your own circle of friends, or how big you want those ripples to be by working for a company that is hoping to change the entire world, like the course of the world. So yeah, I guess that would be my pitch is like knowing that you have the power within yourself to make whatever your 
your visions for yourself are a reality. And I hope that people see that I'm, I'm living proof of that. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you got as much out of the chat with Hannah as I did. I'm so impressed by her attitude towards setbacks and how she manifested, or I guess I should say manifested, what she wants out of her life and career. Stick around till the end of the episode for a sneak preview of our next guest. Make sure to check out our website, thenewschoolpodcast.com. There you can find links to anything mentioned in the episode in our show notes, and you can suggest amazing guests for our show. We also have a newsletter you should definitely sign up for. It's the ultimate weekly guide to turn your passions into a meaningful career. Get every episode as soon as it drops by subscribing to The New School wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a minute, we'd love it if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That would really mean a lot. To stay up to date on all things The New School, follow us on Instagram at The New School Podcast and on Twitter at The New School Pod. Next week, we're talking to Michael Risica. So these days, Michael is a licensed architect, but unlike many architects, that wasn't his dream job when he was little. As he points out, he struggled in school and only realized he'd be good at architecture much later. But it took him more than four years to pass the notorious architect exams, when it took most people six months. Coming from school and getting into the real world was a slap in the face. It was a shock because in architecture school, you're always the, we call them star architects. You're always the architect. You're designing, you're thinking outside the box, you're solving yeah. problems. And as an entry-level employee, it's almost in some ways the polar opposite. Make sure you're back with us next Monday to find out from Michael exactly why he didn't give up on those exams. He shares how to be successful as an architect, the kinds of buildings he's created, and the skills you really need to cut it in architecture. All right, guys, have a great day. As usual, I hope you all try something new today. The New School with Christine Hong is produced by Jenny Snyder, Claire Whiteley, and Alexia Marsola. Editing by Sydney Salk, John Simpson, and Joseph Cho. Special thanks to our marketing team who help us spread our mission and put the new school name out there. Katie Osaki, Dina Che, Marissa Wolfsheimer, and Giovanni Cortez.